Today, we are wrapping it up with our big season finale. Yes, the season finale where we embrace the state of the union of pop culture, of movies, of television, of comic books, Marvel, DC, The Boys, Thor, Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange, Top Gun, everything that is swirling, The Old Man on FX. We talk comics, we talk collecting, we talk signatures. We talk what's hot, what's not. We wrap it up with a big giant bow as we, uh, we we say goodbye to just a really amazing season. And we do it with all the style that we can possibly muster on today's observations. And here we are. Welcome to another edition of observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I do all of the comic books, many of the comic books, so many comic books. And uh, we, we started this podcast to share uh, specifically my journey with comic books because I've been doing this for so long. It started at the very wee young age of seven years old. It was 1974. I found in love with comics. I never, ever looked back. I love the comics. I love the characters. But you'll hear me say this every single time. I'm so blown away by how they have taken over uh, the, the, the pop culture and, and we talk about it. That's what we, we discuss. It's always the, the, the subject. This is not your, um, faith-based podcast. This is not your, um, sports podcast. This really isn't your entertainment podcast, although those are cool. Uh, you know, maybe in year 10, I'll, I'll have celebrities come on, but, uh, until then our, our target is always very clear. It is, it is the superhero comic book effect on pop culture. Case in point, a friend of mine, actually everybody, because now it's summertime as I'm speaking uh, to you. This is summer 2022 and uh, I, everybody's out having vacations. Obviously people were cooped up for years and now they're getting out. And if you've been to an airport or you've uh, been, been been to one of these heavily uh, trafficked tourist areas, you've seen them. You've seen the people. You feel it obviously down the street for me here in Orange County, not down the street, but a couple cities away. Uh, just up the freeway, down the freeway, is uh, Disneyland. Huge resort. Talked in earlier podcasts how Disneyland, when I was a kid, huge, always major attraction in Orange County, but uh, beyond the hotel now, many, so many resorts. I mean, California Adventure didn't exist when I was a kid. I mean, California Adventures, California Adventure is, uh, is is it 22 years old? I mean, I, I feel like I'm getting sold. I can't even remember if it was in like the early 2000s or 1999. I think it just feels like it was in the early 2000s. But we watched in just California Adventure alone, just like rides come, lands come and go. And last summer was the debut of the Avengers Campus. And that's what I'm talking about. These people, three different families, friends uh, in the last uh, week have gone to Orlando. They've gone to the Disney World, Epcot done all those different experiences and they load up their pictures with all of the Avengers walking across the campus. You got to understand the Avengers were not part of the Disney branding, you know, going back to 2010. This is literally, we are still in like year 12 of this, 
of, of, of this very unique, uh, you know, correlation uh, with, with, with Marvel and Disney and, and associating them as a brand. It was a couple years ago, my checks, yes, I still get paper checks. I enjoy them very much from Marvel uh, went from having Spider-Man on them to now Mickey Mouse. I do not get paid by Marvel. I get paid by Disney. And, you know, the the, the, the merging is is just seems like it's in, in, in constant motion. I read a headline uh, last night before I nodded off that, you know, uh, the failure of some of these um, other familiar franchises, I, I don't want to say them. I've really become just in, I, I don't want to kick something while it's down because uh, you never know when you're going to be the one down getting kicked. And you should, you know, think about that in every aspect of your life. <laughs> Whether it's your neighborhood cookout and nobody wants to eat your ribs anymore. Nobody wants your barbecue and Tom's barbecue is so much better. And I I don't know anything about barbecue. I'm just using this. Uh, or, or it's in business or life or creativity. But there was a couple of, there's, there's been a, a, a brand for Disney that hasn't, uh, taken off in, 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 in the way stayed to form, I guess it would be stayed to form as it has. And so one of the headlines was, you know, this brand's failure only increases Disney's reliance on the Marvel catalog of characters, the Marvel brand. And then someone else, another blogger came in and said, Hey, no, they have star Wars too, you know? And, and, and you sit there and you go, you know, star Wars and Marvel were not part of the Disney branding you know, 12 years ago, but now they are because they consume them within, you know, uh, about a 12 to 14 month window right alongside each other. And so when I go and, 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 and see people's, you know, impressions of Disney and everyone's loading up pictures, this literally yesterday it was of Ant-Man, uh, Black Panther, Thor, and, and maybe Gamora were, 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 were the characters that, the, 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 what do they call them? The actors, uh, that, that, that are walking around the park, you know, meeting with the fans dressed like, like superheroes, like the Marvel superheroes. You know, when I was a kid, it was Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Goofy, but now literally kids are going to see, you know, obviously Spider-Man. There's this huge Spider-Man attraction that is part of the Avengers campus here in Anaheim in, in, in the Orange County Disneyland. Uh, we went to the premiere of it last year, and obviously that is the engine that is driving everything. They are looking to make a second Spider-Man ride. So again, it's it's these kind of things. Like, wait, Disneyland has become a Marvel themed park, and 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 you're like, Liefeld, there were there were Marvel roller coasters and Six Flags, yeah, and they, and there and there may still be at some Universal uh, parks outside of California. I know because those those contracts and those licenses they are built to go to the distance and they are built to last. But the uh, the the just extension of what was kind of nerd culture, uh, and and the and, and the broadening of it and making it into the, the, the most, you know, common aspect of our culture is crazy. I, I mention it all the time. It will never, uh, be not wild to turn on my television. And I don't know about you guys, your smart TVs, whatever you're watching. Uh, uh, when you turn on for me, when I just turn on my, my cable television, I get all of the little boxes shown to me. Uh, that are not even part of my cable package, but they're part of my, you know, I've, I've, I've installed those apps on my TV. So the Hulu, you know, is, is, is showing something superhero, superhero. Amazon is going to, is going to bounce between uh, the boys and invincible. And obviously, you know, Netflix is showing me very, you know, 
sci-fi fantasy inspired Stranger Things. Obviously, you can't go to the Disney Plus homepage without having a Marvel or Star Wars character smack you in the face, right? I mean, you're like, hey, there's Obi-Wan, there's Chewbacca, there's Darth Vader. Uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing. So today we we have spent the last uh uh well over a month going in this time machine because I got a hankering uh to, to go back and look at specific years. And I do encourage you uh, to go back and look at our, our uh, they weren't called time capsules, but our time capsule episodes, the decade series is, is what I called it. And it's uh, started with 1986 because of the correlation of what was coming out about five, six weeks ago with Top Gun and Stranger Things season four setting being set in 1986, Top Gun Maverick being a sequel to a the biggest movie of 1986 and now it's on track to be the biggest movie of 2022. I mean, I, it's going to be hard for anything, any single movie that has yet to be released to to catch the the kind of traction that that Top Gun Top Gun is doing with 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 consumers. But uh and 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 fans, I mean, we're fans. Consumers makes it sound so cold, but we're fans. We're going back again and again and again and again because we just dig that 2 hours that we spend with those characters, that world. Uh, we, we bounced from 86 to 91. We bounced from 91 to 2000, then to 2012. And we landed and, and tied it all up in, an, in, in, a, in, a, in a bow, with a bow, in 1978. I tell you in each of these uh, podcast series why this year is so instrumental, why it is so, uh, you know, su- such, a, such a shift to the culture and, and, and what it impacted going forwards. And a lot of the times we, we do examine what came afterwards. I mean, 1978, you'd think I would do, do a podcast on 1977 because that was the year of star Wars, but star Wars was such a force that it affected everything that came after it. The fact that, I mean, I know it was, I'm sure set in motion ahead of time, but you know, the John Williams of it all really happened between star Wars and Superman, having him do both of those back to back, back to back years. And then, of, of course, he reemerges, reemerges on Raiders. Yes, I know he did Jaws, and he had been around before, but it was that Star Wars S- Superman, 1977-1978, you know, syncing that up, which which really be- made the John Williams composer instrumental, you know, uh, uh, soundtrack, uh, just, just made it the thing of our times to where now we pack in, you know, the Hollywood Bowl or wherever he is, uh, you know, going to lead his orchestra. And, 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 you know, give, give us the, the, those brilliant, you know, live orchestral, you know, uh, memories of, of some of our favorite films, whether it's, again, Superman, Raiders, uh, uh, the Star Wars movies, and, and, and obviously so many more. But so the Decade Series, the time capsules, we, we, we definitely uh, danced in, in several different eras. Even going back to 2012 was just a trip 10 years back. And yet, so much has changed, and 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 really, the, the the fallout of of Avengers and that first movie that no one saw coming that that turned into a billion dollar smash that literally changed everything. Change. I don't. You're not getting an Avengers campus without the success of that movie in 2012, and how it launched the Avengers franchise above and beyond all other things. If I didn't say so, then I'll say it again. Avengers became and has has stayed the biggest superhero franchise in the culture since that happened outclassing Spider-Man and the X-Men who were always um ahead they were ahead on the on the game board in 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 regards to like what was the most 
formidable force in comics. It was it was a battle always between Spider Man and X Men, but that 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 Avengers twenty twelve changed it. We go into all that. Listen to the decade series; they're eye openers. But today, on the last new episode that I will be recording for weeks is uh, because because I need I need a vacation. I have uh, is this the two hundred and fifth episode? I think it might be. Uh, you guys have been so great uh, to, to to take this ride with me and to listen with me, but I figured uh, before I go on my own vacation and uh, and kind of reboot, we should look at the present. We should look at what's going on today, the state of the union, the state of the union, pop culture, comic books, movies, television, streaming, what's going on? Some of the stuff is going to be really obvious. Uh, I will try and give you uh, a perspective that I have uh, earned by being in all these different, um, these, these different, uh, uh, you know, different productions, whether it's comic books or whether it's, you know, in, in regards to movies, um, wh- whether it's the Deadpool films, whether it's the Prophet film that we are still, uh, you know, chugging along at. Uh, so many of, of you all. I'll start at the Prophet film. Uh, Prophet's a big deal. Uh, it was uh, put together a few years back. Quickly, we uh, secured the rights of an amazing writer, who is also a, a, just a really sweet, amazing guy. He's always been super be, above and beyond friendly to me, and that is Mark Guggenheim. Uh, he has worked on all manner of different uh, TV shows, uh, cut his teeth across, uh, I mean, 20 years plus, 20 plus years of television, and came in and uh, pitched Profit. We, we honed it together. There was, a, there was a, an initial pitch and, 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 and honestly, I felt like that was just a complete, completely different movie in and of itself. And I, and I, you know, said, we, we need to stick closer to the source material. Mark retreated, came back in a, a, like maybe a week with the, uh, profit treatment that has gone the distance because it became his profit screenplay. And that screenplay attracted the, uh, formidable talents of Mr. Uh, Sam Hargrave who, if you did not know, directed, uh, I think it's Netflix's best film by far, uh, in in uh, Extraction. Extraction 2 has, uh, has, has wrapped production and they are looking to, uh, to, 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 to get that out as soon as possible. But this is uh, the, the directorial, you know, effort of, of this very young, very talented, he had done a bunch of uh, stunt work and second unit uh, stuff for the for, for many of the big Marvel films, many of the biggest Marvel films. And uh, Extraction went on to, especially remember you guys, it debuted in the throes of the pandemic. Chris Hemsworth, huge, just huge success outside of Thor. The sequel, I think it's going to even be bigger. It was, for the longest time, it was the number one extra, uh, Netflix movie of all time. I believe that Red Notice with The Rock and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds went on to eventually outperform it. But come on, is that even a fair fight? <laughs> I mean, you got The Rock and Ryan Reynolds and Gal Gadot up against, you know, Chris Hemsworth. And and he took them on toe-to-toe. I think Extraction 2 is going to far exceed that. Sam Hargrave is uh, seen as one of the most in-demand up-and-coming directors uh, in the business. And we are so fortunate to have him. And he stayed with it. And uh, our interactions are as recently as just... A few weeks back 
in, in regards to him continuing to uh, conduct the orchestra by putting all the pieces together because once he came on board, he reshaped the Prophet movie, took Mark Guggenheim's amazing script, asked to have uh, uh, his own vision for the movie implemented, which Mark did. And then we used that script, we being the producers and, and, and Studio 8, who is behind all of this, uh, Studio 8 and Sam and, and, uh, and Mark's amazing script attracted the attention of one Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal. And Jake is a huge, tremendous, amazing actor. And if you go back to my Twitter feed from like three years ago, people said, hey, who would you want to play Prophet? And I was like, Jake Gyllenhaal. So this is like a dream come true, wish fulfillment, genie moment. And yes, yes, because when I was in Austin a couple weeks back, when I was in North Carolina, when I was in Houston, when I was in Dallas, when I was at WonderCon, uh, these, these, uh, y y you are also generous as to ask me how this is moving forward. It is moving forward in a way that you would hope uh, in the way that, that movies are traditionally moved forward. It was assembled. A property was licensed. A writer was brought on. A, an incredible script was written by that writer. That, that script was used to get a director to say, Hey, I want to do that. I want to put my imprint alongside this and make this happen and bring this to life. We then use that to get a giant piece of talent in Jake, who is one of, if not the best actor of his generation. He's fantastic. He's, you know, just transformative in every single movie that he's ever done. I, I, I do not know of any uh, performance by, by Jake Gyllenhaal that I am completely not uh, enraptured by and, and just impressed by the, the extent of his acting. So the Prophet movie is moving along, it's moving forward, it is going towards what will eventually be, hopefully, production here in within the next, it certainly does not feel like it'll be the end of the year because Extraction 2 is being still wrapped up, it's in post, uh, that they have to put, put all the finishing touches on Extraction 2, but Sam is very excited about it, Jake is very excited about it, uh, everyone has met on this movie in the last week, the, the movie is moving forward profit is has got tremendous momentum and the reason I I'm able to tell you this and be happy telling you about this is because uh the center is holding I have been a part of these things when something you know fractures and the the movie then collapses everyone goes their separate ways you either start over from scratch or it doesn't go anywhere and uh in my you know experience having done if you've again listened to this podcast for any extended period of time you've seen how movies with Tom Cruise and Will Smith uh, in the 90s that I was a part of that I generated that I created and that had also great screenwriters uh, just never completely took flight they did not you know get off the tarmac uh, if I was uh, you know describing profit it is the rocket is set to go um, we just have not hit ignition yet but getting the rocket in position upright for its launch is a feat in and of itself. If 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 selling the movie and, and interesting a, a studio to spend money on making it is kind of the blueprint phrase, we are way beyond that. We have assembled the rocket. The rocket is on the tarmac. We are waiting to get the 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 the, the signal from NASA. Yes, I watch way too much for all mankind, which you should all be watching as well. And maybe maybe we'll circle back to that at the at the end of this in, in regards to the State of the Union. But profit is in great shape. 
Prophet is moving forward. Prophet is a comic book character. If you're like, what is Prophet? Debuted 30 years ago as part of the Image Comics launch. It was in Youngblood number two. John Prophet in kind of a uh, you know little bit of a curveball. I wanted to tell the story about this character, John Prophet, and I used the Youngblood characters who were only one you know issue old, one month old in the minds of the comic book fans. I used the momentum that that had given me to introduce you to John Prophet and his and his plight and. Oddly enough, as some of you know, John Prophet was set to be uh, in X-Force before I left. And trust me, you guys, one thing I will tease you with, someday I will tell you the entire the entire truth. There's giant chunks of history that I do not tell you because it's almost too inflammatory to tell you uh, some of the key. There's always a key moment. There's always, you know, that back-breaking moment when you were trying to do two things at once and then you decided, no, I'm just going to go and do this. And what that became was Image Comics. And, uh, you know, who knows if a, a certain series of events or the existence of certain people, uh, if they were not involved, had everything held together differently at Marvel, and maybe Image doesn't come to be. But the, the bottom line is, those are stories to tell for another time. Image Comics did happen in the way that it happened, in a spectacular way that we continue to celebrate now, 30 years into it, the 30th anniversary. And when it comes to Mr. Uh, Mr. John Prophet, he exploded across 1.2 million copies of Youngblood Number Two, excited everyone, and never left the book. It finished out the original story arc because it became so profit centric. We then spin him off into his, uh, yeah, we spun him off into his own series, and that was a huge success. And um, you know, Dan Panosian had only really signed on to do four issues, and he was looking to move on and do something else that was kind of where he was going to cut his teeth as a penciler, a full penciler and inker. Dan had not, to my knowledge, and he had expressed to me at the time, he had not penciled and inked a series, but he certainly had amazing talents and skills. And, uh, you know, now Dan Panosian is known as, you know, a, 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 a uh, an established writer, artist, full illustrator, does, does the entire penciling and inking and textures and tones. And he has met with tremendous success. He's been doing this for years now. People absolutely adore and love and celebrate his work. Um, Prophet was the first. And it was the first on his you know, road to evolution and becoming the damp notion that he would be. But it was never going to be more than four issues. So we had to find somebody who could take over with issue number five. That became a gentleman named Stephen Platt who was doing Moon Knight at Marvel at the time. And we called him up. He had some heat, some buzz. Uh, the, the fan magazines were starting to, you know, swarm around him and he ended up coming out over and doing profit for us to great fanfare that the sales almost on his, um, fifth issue went, uh, as, as high as our sales on profit number one, just shy of that. And, and it showed the incredible excitement and we had put, you know, the right, the right talent on the right character. I believe that's when you get gold is when you put that right artistic vision with the, the 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 right character, and you cannot equate, you know, time and place and and character and creator. It just when that clicks, when that when that happens, it's 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 electric. And what we had with Stephen coming on board was electric. He really lended himself to gear and weapons and all those bullet casings, and so he brought his very um, specific style. And I can tell you from working with Stephen because he worked with us for five uh, years under many of that during that time, many of, of, of those years were under the same roof. And, uh, he was a p- p- 
peculiar guy. That's that's how I would say Stephen is a very peculiar guy, but his talent could not be uh, disputed. My one aside on Stephen, because many people now look at his work and say it doesn't look anything like what he did during the 90s. I'm not sure. Actually, I can tell you with great certainty, he did not enjoy the work that he was putting out. He always was um, not certain that what was on the page was what he wanted to give you. And I assume that now after 30 plus years, what he is giving you is what he wanted to give you, that he has found that union of, of the artistic vision in his, in his head and, and what he puts on paper or on digital tablet because he dabbles a lot in animation. And uh, But he was, the, the, the version of Stephen Platt that you got that you loved on Moon Knight and Prophet was a, a just the thing that was great about it was just this unrelenting energy that he was pouring into the page each and every frame and, and the rendering and the line work. And unfortunately, you know, he, he couldn't pull off penciling and inking his own work full time. So, you know, we had to get him different inkers throughout the studio and he messed really good with some of the guys that we put on, but he always wanted to ink his own work. So, you know, whether it was, uh, he didn't, he, he, he actually did not ink all of his covers either, but, but when he did, I think he was mo- most satisfied, as we all are as artists. If we can ink ourselves with some you know, level of comprehension, that's when you're going to get the best version of us. When I think of even just taking over my own inks, as an aside here on New Mutants and X-Force, I, 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 I felt like I could enhance all my own strengths and I could hide my weaknesses in terms of you know, uh, uh, faces, figures, backgrounds, and even today, I, I prefer to ink myself above and all, above all else. It's interesting to collaborate with other other visions. And, and I've, I've lamented many times that the, the era that I grew up in, the Bronze Age, had the most, uh, the most talented group of, of inkers and finishers because all of them were badass artists on their own or could at least draw, you know, a competent face and figure without any input from any other public, you know, uh, p- penciling source. These guys were literally super talented. The reason that you liked maybe your favorite penciler inked by Bob McLeod, who Bob uh, McLeod, we go on, um, to, uh, to, to do the new mutants launch new mutants, the, the graphic novel and the first several issues prior to that time through the late seventies through the, in the early eighties, Bob, I believe he came out of, uh, was influenced or actually inside Neil Adams continuity studios. He would ink Neil. He would ink Mike Zeck. Uh, he would ink John Byrne. He would ink James Sherman over on the Legion of superheroes at DC comics. Uh, Bob was a, had, had an amazing, uh, finishing and rendering, uh, really lush, beautiful line work. Uh, he, he would, he would ink Herb Trimp, uh, Trimpy on, on GI Joe, especially that launch issue that looks so beautiful. He was an amazing artist in his own right, as you eventually saw on the New Mutants work that he did. But he could take any penciler and enhance them because he was such a good penciler uh, in his own right. He just also had the mastery of the crow quill and the brush lines that made it all look so pretty whenever he put his own sheen on top of a penciler that you really liked. The same goes for Klaus Janssen and Terry Austin and Joseph Rubenstein and uh, so many of the great finishers, Tom Palmer. These guys were aces. Klaus Janssen... If he was inking George Perez or Frank Miller or John Byrne, uh, it, it all looked amazing. So, so you know, when you get these great finishers of which that era that I grew up in was the best, then 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 they're coming alongside of you and helping kind of finish the vision that you're putting down on paper. I've talked openly in our era. I mean, 
case in point, the reason that we all jumped in and helped Todd ink issues of Spider-Man is because there were uh, no other inkers that anyone trusted with their work at that time because we all wanted a very certain, sharp, clean, commercial, crispy line. The only person giving that to anyone's content at the time was Scott Williams, and Scott Williams had pledged his fealty to the Jim Lee body of work, and he did so by telling us all this. The reason I use those exact words is we all got the call saying, hey, I am attaching my, uh, my, my, my train to Jim, and I won't be available. I will be you know, mostly doing Jim's work. Scott had inked uh, Wills Portacio, some Brent Anderson, Strike Force, Moratori. Uh, so he had, he had, you know, I had come to know him doing inks on Wills Portacio and Eric Larson on Punisher before he eventually pivoted towards Jim. And they have been a team that has not separated now for about 30 plus years. But the, 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 the Todd McFarlane issues it's like, well, there you can't clone Scott Williams. He's not going to be able to do anything more than what he's already committed to in 1991. So, so Todd would say, hey, Rob, would you like to take two pages? Can I send you two pages? Jim Lee, would you actually ink some pages? Scott Williams, could you ink two two pages? The closest he could get was a guy who had come up through the Bronze Age named Rick Magar, who was kind of a softer, uh, uh, not as clean and sharp version of Scott Williams, but being a not clean and not as sharp version of Scott Williams was still going to get you some really sharp lines. So he also employed Rick Magar, but, but, you know, there was always an all hands on deck, uh, because if you couldn't put your own line on your own work, which circles back to Stephen Platt, who, when he was not able to ink his own work, he was never truly quite satisfied. And I understand that neither was I, I, I wanted to ink my own work. And the, and the bottom line is finding somebody that comes alongside you and gives you the best possible line. Steven did uh, some amazing work on Profit and and helped further uh, propel the, the the popularity of the character. And and really, the characters never looked back. There was an entire card set of Profit cards. There was a uh, you know uh, uh, several other series over the years. And even this summer on in in J- July twentieth is when the facsimile edition comes out where I hired a bunch of amazing, outstanding modern artists from Ed Pisker to Jim Rugg to Tom Scioli to Dan Fragum, Rott, uh, Michaels, Carl Allstetter, all, all some extreme alumni that you'll, you'll recognize to Kenneth, Kenneth Roquefort, Clay Mann, Victor Bogdanovich, uh, v. Ken, v. Ken Marion. These guys are amazing. Philip Tan and, of course, Dan Panosian comes back to give us... Uh, uh, he was the first guy, just so you know, he was the first guy I called, said, which which page do you want? Which page do you want to recreate? Dan stepped up and did a great job, and Profit Remastered number one comes out uh, July 20th, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed giving it to you. It has some remastered covers of existing images that Jim Lee did for me back in the 90s, Joe Quesada. Uh, th- there's a Dave Finch uh, illustration that I've admired for years. It was commissioned by a gentleman named Craig Davina who got it from him at a convention. I don't know where, I don't know when, I don't even, it may have been as far back as in the nineties. No, I think it's in the two thousands because Dave Finch was maybe maybe it was 99, early two thousands. I've always known that Craig had this. I decided to finally put forth a call and ask Craig if I could get a clean scan and ink over that and make that a cover so that people would have a Dave Finch profit uh, that they had never seen before. So I did that. And I supplied that, and I am so glad that I did. It came out really nicely. Inking Dave is so fun, and it came out so great, and, and I'm so excited to get that in, in your guys' hands. 
So, so again, Dave is just another one of the many covers that we have coming out. And we did get a clean uh, scan of, of an existing profit uh, advertisement that Stephen did that should have been a cover at some point. I mean, it's as good as any cover we've ever done on profit and had that recolored up. And that is also out there. So profit from film to comic book update and the history of the character and where it comes from and how it really resonates in that 30th, this 30th anniversary space. You should check it out. So, so, so as I look in, in this world and uh, when it comes to Deadpool and Deadpool three, by the way, I am just not engaged in any, in any manner. I, 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 uh, when people ask me about it, I just kind of, you know, shrug and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing what comes together. This is the first Deadpool movie that is outside of Fox. It is a Disney slash Marvel uh, production, obviously under the dom- Dominion and the purview of Kevin Feige for the first time. You know, when you think about it, Kevin Feige and, and, and Ryan Reynolds haven't worked together. That, that, that Ryan has had no success with Kevin. Kevin has had no success with Ryan. So this is their first time collaborating. Ryan uh, really has his fingerprints all over the first two Deadpool movies uh, that they are the massive giant successes because of him and his incredible effort and talent and dedication that he throws in to the role. Uh, now, as we all know, and, and you know, I, I know I hear from you guys all the time. You're like, but, you know, we love Deadpool before. Of course you did. Yes, Deadpool was a giant uh, figure. And please go listen to the making of Deadpool part one, two, three, four. Maybe there's a fifth part. I did those almost two years ago. Uh, I, I think I did those early in 2021 uh, to, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Deadpool. Yes, in video games and toys and statues and all manner of merchandise and comic books, Deadpool has been a tremendous success. I always say that the, 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 the Ryan Reynolds Deadpool films, Deadpool 1 and 2, took him to the stratosphere, to another level, to, to absolute global phenomenon level, which is, which is an, you'll, you'll know it when you're there, and trust me, I've experienced it, so I know. But in regards to, you know, Deadpool 3, uh, you know, I really loved what they were doing over at Fox. I was so involved with those those films. The executives had brought me on board and kept me in the loop on on issues, uh, issues, <laughs> the first two movies. Uh, there, there are untold tales about the second film that I'll have to be a lot older to share with you that are really fun, or maybe somebody will get to them all in the memoirs because that, that was a crazy uh, whirlwind from... Deadpool 1, I almost said issue again, Deadpool 1 to issue 2, <laughs> I just did it, from Deadpool 1 to Deadpool 2 was a crazy period, and some of that stuff is staying deep in the vault, but now that they are approaching a third movie, I wish wish it nothing but success, uh, the first two movies wore me out in regards to, to be involved and to be involved in those films, I literally... Uh, tracked them down and and hounded those productions and was like I said eventually welcomed in and 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 speaking to the president of Fox the vice the vice president of Fox the, all the executives uh, was was flown around by them um, multiple times on set uh, reading scripts giving input uh, invited to marketing meetings I mean I could not have been more involved in the process as a comic book creator and now that I am on the uh, you know. I was going to say on the outside of Fox, but I was going to say, no, 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 Fox doesn't exist. <laughs> so, so now that there is no more Fox and it is now a dominion of Disney, I, you know, I don't know a single person in that organization and I'm just too old to try and ring up everybody and go, Hey, it's Rob Liefeld. So I'm just on the sidelines, like you guys hoping that it goes well and, and, and watching it come together. 
And I do hope very much that they pick up all the threads that were in the, uh, you know, the, the Deadpool 2. And I hope very much it's not a Saturday Night Live skit with him walking through a door into the Marvel Universe and, 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 and making cracks about the Marvel Universe for two hours. But we'll see. I trust that uh, that is not something that Disney would put their stamp on and that they would be able to cultivate that and shape it. And so I wish them well. But in regards to pop culture at large and comics and movies, uh, and, and again, the, the other thing is there's all manner of different projects. Just know at any time, as I've told you, all of these different extreme projects in my library that I have control over. And people always ask me, like, well, what, what, what are the extreme properties that you are involved with? Well, the extreme properties that I'm involved with are Brigade and Bloodstrike and the Berserkers and Blood Wolf. A lot of B characters there. I was really into the, 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 the B, Blood Wolf. Berserkers, Brigade, uh, Bloodstrike, Battlestone. Um, also, uh, Glory, uh, The Judgment Day, entire Judgment Day uh, miniseries, all those characters. Uh, you know, Warchild, uh, I'm already losing. Evangeline, just kind of losing track. But there's a lot. There, there, there's, there's, there's certainly no um, no shortage. There's a, there's a character called Priest that m- not many of you know. But yeah, so so all those characters at any given time, there's a director, there's a writer, there's an actor moving in and out. It's just the stuff, unless it becomes, you know, papered with a contract, you guys don't hear about it because you become numb if, if that's all you did was hear about potential deals that were coming together that weren't, not, weren't quite going to land. But in the culture today, in 2022, what is going on, uh, you know, when you turn, as I'm recording this and you turn on your TV, you're going to see the boys. They have, let's start with the boys. Let's start with summer 2022, State of the Union. What is going on? Well, what is going on is that the boys is blowing up. It feels like the boys is bigger in season three than it was ever in seasons two and one. And and, and you got to realize now in the streaming world, when those episodes sit on that server waiting for you to activate at any time, you can immediately catch up. Uh, A friend of mine did the same thing with the Invincible cartoon, which is now you know, I think came out about a year and a half ago, but the entirety of that season is available for you to watch at any time. And people are watching it, they're getting turned on to it, and they're becoming giant Invincible fans anticipating the second season, which I believe will be bigger than the first. And that is happening with The Boys. The Boys uh, is is scratching an itch, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little bit of my science on this with The Boys, is that The Boys is the natural maturation that I predicted would happen because it happened to me and it happened to you. If you're in your 30s or 40s, it already happened to you. Our kind of nerd uh, puberty hits in our you know, late teens, early 20s because we've experienced all of the other stuff. And now, as I've said many times, you want the R-rated version of that PG thing, PG-13 thing that you like so much. It is why... Uh, when, when I see, and my mouth is on the floor because it's like, oh my gosh, he feels the same way. When I see John Favreau at the, you know, Mandalorian round table, speaking of how, when he went to see Return of the Jedi, he wasn't as, he wasn't as enchanted by Star Wars as he was six years prior. Well, of course I was nine. I was 15 when I saw Return of the Jedi. I think he expresses the same. He was either 10 and 16. Uh, the Ewoks were not as beloved by the original Star Wars people because we had read, First and foremost, that that was supposed to be Wookiees and Chewbacca and his race, but it wasn't. 
but we just weren't ready for the teddy bears of it all. And, 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 and I remember though getting hard brushed back when I went into my studio, the big bullpen with about 20, 25 guys in the mid nineties. And we were having a star Wars discussion, a big rousing afternoon discussion of star Wars and sci-fi and stuff that we like. And I told them how much I did not enjoy return of the Jedi. And I, I'll tell you right now, return of the Jedi has a climax that is very much mirrored on the empire strikes back climax. Luke is going to fight Vader again. And then adding to the star Wars 77 of it, it's on the death star again, another death star. And now you've got the, the, the Endor and the Ewok aspect of it, which is all well and good. It looks good. It's fun. I saw it once in the theater. I really enjoyed it. And I never actually saw it in the theater until they reissued it in the, um, in the nineties. But after seeing star Wars 37 plus times empire about five, six times, I was just, I had kind of grown up and my tastes had, had shifted and, and, and I was ready for James Cameron's R-rated Terminator and the R-rated Predator by John McTiernan and the R-rated Alien and Aliens by, by Mr., uh, you know, obviously Ridley Scott on Alien and James Cameron on Alien, Aliens, the sequel. Uh, you know, I wanted Total Recall by, by, by Verhoeven and Starship Troopers and just uh, Robocop by, by Verhoeven. All, all of this R-rated material suddenly became what I craved when I was 18, 19, 20. And, and, and I feel like the boys is fulfilling that in the superhero end. And I remember telling my wife when we took Luke, my, my oldest son, when he, uh, turned 16, he wanted to go to, he, 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 the civil war premiere was the big deal. And so, you know, we assembled everybody for the civil war, uh, birthday party at the big IMAX and, you know, bought all his buddies tickets and we have the picture. They're all in their comic book superhero t-shirts. And again, I'm sitting there looking at the the brightest basketball and football players at our high school who are now adorned in comic book, you know, t-shirts and logos and symbols and drawings on their chest. And again, when I was a kid, that stuff was such the domain of nerd culture and, and was, was, was seen as better sequestered away. But here we are here. We, 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 we are at a 16th birthday party that is, uh, completely focused around civil war and uh it, it was it was super fun i mean i'm smiling as i'm as, as i'm telling you this because i have great memories and, and and we didn't watch it with them we you know bought the tickets took the pictures paid for the dinner you know let them do their thing and and of course you know uh, uh luke hadn't yet to get his license so we had to pick him up afterwards they were all turning 16 so i i, I told my wife at the time it'll be interesting to see how their tastes mature if 10 years from now this is the stuff they still crave because, again, for me, it was Star Wars and, and, and Return of the Jedi and then launching into the more R-rated stuff. And again, John Favreau himself discusses this on the Mandalorian Roundtable that as a teenager, he had seen his stuff, you know, his tastes evolve. And so The Boys, to me, is the evolution of everything that we have enjoyed with the Marvel and DC PG-13 movies, whether it was The Avengers or Dark Knight, Justice League, Man of Steel, uh, uh, you know, pick your poison but it's part of why i believe deadpool connected so hard in the in the beginning was the r-rated uh aspect of the material the excessive violence the raunchy language and the more mature sexual themes all of which are on display in the boys season three uh in in bigger better form than they were in seasons one and two and it is meeting with huge audience uh, approval uh big numbers big interaction and, and so everything that the boys is doing feels like a natural extension. Now, of course, they're doing it well. 
They're doing it well. That's why everyone's reacting to it. The, the, the scripts are funny. The acting's great. The action's big. The effects are, are really good. And, 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 and the journey is there, and people are ready now for this version. Uh, and it's really catching fire. There are people, there are bloggers that I know of that I'm like, I would assume we're, we're already watching it, who are like, I'm, I'm finally breaking down and watching it due to all the buzz. So that's what season three is doing. So right now I would say The Boys is having an incredible summer. Uh, June 2022 is being incredibly kind to this property, and it is um, banking all manner of views and exciting people. But I do believe the message, there's a there's a message in the bottle, and the message in the bottle is that the R-rated stuff is only going to become uh, more sought out and 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 better received uh, by, by fandom, you know, writ large. I mean, they, they are going to show up for this stuff because this is what they have naturally grown into and adapted to, and the, and boys have become men, and men's tastes are different than boys. So yeah, I I, I just feel like the boys is uh, the talk of the summer so far. So so I mean, it's a uh, it's it's a big deal. It's a, it's a big deal. It's, it's, uh, it's pushing the envelope. I, I, I really want to hit that note. Like it's pushing the envelope in a way that, so, so when I mentioned all the stuff that I liked that was R rated, I'm going to tell you right now why I liked it. Cause it had more sex and had more violence. That's it. That's the whole reason. More sex, more violence, a little more mature language, but it just feels like more adult, um, less, less censored is, is, you know, all, all the quick cuts to not show you the sex or the violence is like you're parents putting their hands over your eyes when you were a kid or pausing something or asking you to leave the room when you're an adult and you go, Oh, I can see the entire sex scene or I can watch this really graphic violent scene where someone's getting dismembered and, and, uh, and, and, you know, there, there's a hand getting cut off or, you know, I mean that, 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 that's the, that's the most, um, that, that's the most appealing part of, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that that's the kind of stuff that that drew drew, drew me to R-rated material and and with stuff like the boys it is more raucous more raunchy more violent more graphic and and you know Deadpool and then uh, Logan uh, the 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 last of the Wolverine movies from Fox Fox had really found the the sweet spot with that R-rated material and and now again it it, it given that there's it's been so long since any of that has been visited on us. It's now, now we're getting it from the boys and we're getting it again from invincible. And, and again, that's the stuff that, that where my attention is drawn to because it's, it's less of mommy and daddy putting their hands over our eyes. And of course, I mean, I'm in my fifties, so of course that's what I'm going to seek out, but it's you guys, you younger uh, listeners of, of whom I've been able to meet. And, and those of you in your twenties and your thirties and your forties who have talked to me about the show, you've experienced it. It's just a natural progression that we go through. And so this, the more mature the material is, I think the more successful it's going to be because, you know, take my son, for instance, I keep bringing him back because he's been so fun to watch because he naturally grew towards all of this stuff, star Wars and the comic book stuff in his own way. He doesn't read comics in the way that I would have ever hoped, but he reminded me again, five, six years ago, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Marvel cinematic fan, dad. I'm, I'm a cinematic fan. So the, so the movies really do have a sway over him in a big way and watching, uh, him now at 22 years old, enter the workforce post college, post graduation, spending his own money, uh, you know, following his own pursuits. 
it's going to be interesting where that takes not only him, but an entire generation. So I think the more mature stuff that comes out uh, is, is going to be the better. And that is a perfect pivot to where in the world comic books, what's going on in the, the state of the union that is the summer of 2022. Having traveled and looked around and each retailer will tell you that when I come into whatever you know store, whatever different port that I arrive in, I ask them, hey, what's selling for you? What's selling for you? And, you know, over the years, even in the season of, of a year, from fall to, you know, spring, summer, winter, uh, you're going to get different answers. Stuff has seasonal impact. Stuff has uh, it, stuff has, has kind of a fever that, it, that, that can run its course. Sometimes it can run its course for years upon years. And we're in a really interesting time right now. Let me tell you right now. From where I am sitting, this is a uh, period that I don't remember feeling this way. That this 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 is a very uh, uncertain period in the comics industry. Not in regards to what is selling, how things are selling, what is moving. It is in regards to the fact that why are you buying comics at all? Why are you buying comic books? A lot of stores have told me that the <clears throat> the Wednesday Warriors have have faded. The Weekend Warriors, those dedicated people that show up maybe on Fridays or Wednesdays and get their pulls, and um, you know now it's scattershot. Truthfully, you use your logic brain and you go, well, that is a byproduct of what occurred in the pandemic, because all of our schedules were, um, you know, upended and people were up all manner of night and day, and they were surfing the web. And people didn't go to jobs, so they didn't have deadlines to wake up, and they didn't have times to arrive, and things got obviously done on Zoom, and it was just it changed the kind of what, what do you call that? Uh, what, what they they call that an algorithm? It it changed life's algorithm, and it probably changed life's al algorithm in regards to when and when you did your shopping. I'm going to tell you, pre-pandemic, Rob Liefeld would drop by Target or Walmart regularly and it wasn't to buy groceries or to buy clothes it was to check the toy aisles i just have always been doing this since my 20s i like to peruse the different aisles and see what's selling and i've been trained by you know uh experts in the field to look at the depth of those toys stacked on those pegs and see you know what's selling through what's not for the longest time you know the marvel stuff the, 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 the shelves were empty. The DC stuff was all well stocked. Star Wars was, you know, kind of uh, a mixed bag. Transformers came back, did very well. G.I. Joe came back, did very well. I mean, a lot of empty pegs. Honestly, it felt like the Hasbro line. Hasbro has Transformers and G.I. Joe and the Marvel and Star Wars stuff. That the, that the Hasbro line was extremely healthy. But the Mattel portion of those lines were not. And... Uh, now the DC stuff has shifted to McFarlane and we're back in a mixed bag. But I'm not as aware as I used to be because after the pandemic and the stores going down and my routine being altered, I don't go to Target or Walmart hardly ever at all, period. I think I've been to Target twice in the last year. I just don't get out and do the retail in the same way. Uh, I have, like many of you, resorted to ordering things 
on Amazon online and getting home deliveries. And it's laughable sometimes given that we are a house of five and everyone, (laughs) everyone is hitting daddy's Amazon account, how much stuff is being delivered to the door on the daily basis. Uh, My daughter, if you're keeping track is in the lead, beating all of us by a very wide margin, albeit uh, uh, hats, shorts, tops, it's uh, obviously bathing suit season, so my, my daughter is hitting that button with 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 heavy frequency. I couldn't even hope to keep up with just her alone. She'd smoke all of us. But uh, but every kid is is still, and, and some of those older ones about to leave and <laughs> and fall under their own account um, are, I think, getting their last hits in. But regardless, I do a lot of shopping online and less going into stores. So I understand this notion that the comic stores. That the, the the you know poll customers the the dedicated members the casual uh, you know customer that drops by that's all changed and and they're actually getting more of the casual kind of walk-ins but it's all unpredictable you know Tuesday may be an incredibly insanely busy day because it just got into everybody's head to go check out something on a Tuesday it's it's those dedicated Wednesdays. Um, are, are, are less and less populated according to each and every store that I, that I have visited. And each and every week, you know, there seems to be a different book that is catching people's um, attention. But, you know, my career, Jim Lee's career, Todd McFarlane's career, Eric Larson's career, just, just put it under an umbrella of everybody in, in my peer group followed the peer group before us and the peer group before them and the way that we made a connection with you was the stories that we told and the connection that you had to the stories that we were told, that we were telling you. And there was, you, you can hear in, in, in my excitement, <clears throat> whether I'm telling you about the Korvac saga or Days of Future Past or the death of um, Jean Grey, the, the, dark, the Dark Phoenix saga, or, you know, the son of Doctor Doom, you know, whatever it is. These are storylines that captivated me. And, and, and I knew when I had the helm of the New Mutants and X-Force and was telling you the story of Cable and the twist and the turn and the big reveal with Strife and the arrival of all these new characters, I remember knowing and, and, and feeling, because you get that rep- rapport with the audience, that you were coming along this ride, that the stories were w- what was bringing you and that you would count down those 30, 28, 32 days between issues until you got the next one. And that was why, why it was so important to meet you there uh, each and every month and give you a new chapter, give you a new installment. Uh, it's it's why Image Comics could have even, even been more, if you can imagine, more powerful had we got our books every out every 30 days 30 years ago rather than the long waits in between Youngblood 1 and 2 and Wildcats 1 and 2 and Cyber Force 1 and Cyber Force 1 and 2. I mean, even Spawn had a about a 6 to 7 week gap between I think issues 2 and 3, one of the early issues because obviously I've been tracking this stuff down lately and looking at the shipping and all of the different dates. And so so what was really driving me was stories. Frank Miller, Daredevil, Elektra, Born Again, stories. Dark Knight stories, Watchmen stories. <clears throat> It occurred to me that right now I can't really find anybody uh, getting excited about any storyline. And, and and trust me, social media, that stuff rises. What I see now more than anything, guys, and, and, and tell me if I'm wrong here, please, vehemently tell me I'm wrong. And by that, like, 
Tell me there's a Death of Phoenix that I'm missing out. Tell me there's a Hellfire Club saga. Tell me there's an Electra saga. Tell me that there is a Korvac storyline. Tell me that, that, that this stuff is, is, is unfolding and that I'm just clicking on the wrong, you know, chats and links and feeds and that I'm missing it. But what I'm really seeing, and it led me to ask each of these stores, because again, this last month, I tra- the last two months, I uh, have, have, have been traveling. And if you count like year to year, I'm not quite to the actual year. But when I did five stores in Florida and two stores in Arizona and I did New York and I did Chicago and, you know, I did Los Angeles and, and, and I, I, I've done Texas five stores. I've done North Carolina. I've, I have really put myself out there and tried to expand uh, the awareness of not only what I'm doing, but what others are doing and, and, and learn those lessons. And the retailers speak in one unifying voice. Generally, one unif- one retailer is not experiencing something so off the page that another is not. The stores kind of sing the same tune. And there is no real storyline that is pushing things right now. What is pushing things, as you know, and some of you are like, Liefeld, I don't need you to tell me this. I'm savvy. Well, that's why we enjoy each other's company because we are mutually savvy. You, the listener, and me, the uh, the host. Uh, what's driving comic sales right now more than ever is first appearances, is speculation, it's these uh, it's it's these charts, it's it's coverprice.com. It's, uh, it's, it's like a new level of uh, speculation has really led to people seeking out books that they believe are going to be valuable. And what we have now is kind of a, a Petri dish of the last two years. And you both, you know more than, 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 than I need to express to you that, that the, the larger kind of canvas of, of all of these different choices that we've been told to pursue in terms of first appearances, quote unquote, hot books that that the returns are slim it it favors the minority not the majority of what you've selected which leads me to tell you to be cautious okay now this goes back even 3 years but i am so glad that i have something is killing the children the first you know all the first editions the 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 you know even the first edition second prints i mean i've got i've got all that stuff and that was a real uh, pivotal uh, change in the career of one James Tiny. I believe it's Tiny, and I've been told that's um, how his name is pr- pronounced. It could be Tinian, but here's the great thing. I think he he knows uh, that he has a name like Liefeld that is wildly uh, mispronounced, and he goes by James the Fourth. So when we speak of James the Fourth, the industry knows who that is. Isn't that great? He's got kind of a moniker. I mean, how cool. Instead of like King Richard or or... You know, Richard the Lionhearted, he's James the Fourth. Pretty badass. Pretty badass. <clears throat> that is what my travels and what my experiences have shown me, that he is the single biggest, bright, shining superstar that has maintained his luster, his appeal over the last three years. Uh, his writings, both at DC on the Batman book that kind of really sparked a new wave of, in, of interest that was the, the book really was dominating the scene during the pandemic while we were all closed in, uh, when comic books resumed, uh, his, his efforts on that book, uh, were, were, were really successful. And it was so much so that he turned his, you know, 
his interest into his own independent works and uh, something is killing the children has, has just been, I mean, literally tearing it up. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's 25th issue is about to come out and uh, speaking to the plus two years that he's been doing this and it looks to sell 125,000 copies. You guys, that is significant. That is a big deal. That is that is James Tinian the fourth. James the fourth. You know, again, I didn't. I sorry that I didn't say it's James Tinian. The he has four in his title, so James the fourth as a moniker, while also being badass, completely fits. Uh, Hundred twenty thousand copies of of something is killing the children. Of if there is any book that has maintained its heat throughout the course of these last two and a half years, it is this book, and he has. You know, obviously not stop there because the Department of Truth is also a James <clears throat> the Fourth uh, book, and 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 uh, the Nice House on the Lake is a book that he has has put out, and uh, and and so you've got the Department of Truth. Something is killing the children. Uh, the Nice House on the Lake, and he has the uh, th- this this new you know comic, the Closet. So, 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 and if I miss him, I miss him. What, what, it doesn't matter. What, what matters is that he is the real deal, the big deal. He is the most successful guy in the, in the comic business as of this recording right now in the summer of 2022. And when he is, it shows he has the longest lines because he has solicited the most interest and the most heat and, and people are excited about encountering him. And they have followed the pricing on something is killing the children. And, and as you as you know, if you have early editions, those have skyrocketed in price. I put mine in mylar bags a year ago. I followed through and said, well, it's time to go outside. It's time to go out to the modern comic book boxes that I have. They're separate from my kind of Bronze Age personal collection stuff that I keep nearby. And I grabbed my mylars and double bordered it and made sure that the first editions of the of the something is killing the children comics were in the most pristine. Uh, you know, uh, condition that they could possibly be in because I wanted them to, you know, go the distance. I'm going to hold on to those. And, you know, I don't know if they're going to make a movie. I don't know if they're going to make a cartoon or a series. I'm not even sure that that's been optioned. I'm sure they have. I'm sure all his stuff is somewhere somehow because he has genuine, ridiculous amount of heat. Heat. Um, I've read, I've read maybe two or three of his stories. I don't need to read any more to know that he is an excellent writer. Uh, clearly has, uh, uh, a, a genre that he is kind of activated in comics that no one really got this much uh, play out of. And, and it is this kind of uh, mystery thriller horror uh, bend. And, you know, I am not the big mystery thriller horror guy, but I don't need to be to know that they have for 20 years dominated the charts and, and in, in, in regards to movies, I, I have, if there, if, the, if that entire genre has produced a hundred movies in the last, like, you know, 10 years, I, I've seen two of them. I mean, it's just not where I live and breathe, but I don't need to, to know that they are making a huge connection with audiences and that those audiences show up, uh, in big numbers and support in big numbers. And in comic books, he has transformed, uh, I think expectations in regards to what is, you know, what, what is successful in James, the fourth and his books, the closet department of truth, something is killing the children, you know, nice house by the lake. These are big 
titles. He is a big name. Your retailer knows his name. Your average consumer knows his name. The person at the convention uh, is getting in the line to wait for him right now. I mean, that, that's how uh, a big a deal he is. He has really uh, become the standard in regards to what everyone else is aspiring to be in the current comic book market. And he has done it by breaking the mold, not giving you superheroes, not really giving you science fiction, but giving these very uh, significant uh, visions that he has. You know, I, I was watching for the umpteenth time because now that basketball is over and there is, uh, you know, there's been a lull in kind of my excitement. The playoffs for me in the NBA playoffs have always been for since I was a kid. So we're, we're, we're plus 45 years. I mean, I was there rookie season, Magic Johnson. So count really 1980, 1979-80 season is my locked in awareness because I'm 13 and boom, it, it you know doesn't look back from then. And the NBA is my favorite sport, edging out football just slightly my entire life. When that season is over, things get a little more dull and a little more boring. And so instead of watching all of the sports television that I'm watching and all the different debates and all the different speculation, I've turned to some old, old documentaries. And of course, um, Empire of Dreams, the Star Wars saga that I've, I've mentioned here so many times is on Disney Plus. So you can see it in all its glory with just one click if you have the Disney Plus uh, subscription. And I was watching it again last week and it was interesting when they were talking about the different filmmakers of the, of, of the, of the time. And it was Steven Spielberg himself that was speaking. And as I've told you so much, so often, so much of what has happened, you want to take, talk about like, you know, impact. I, I cannot and will not say enough. The names of Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, you know, uh, uh, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, they are the chief among all of the, uh, you know, uh, Roman Polanski at that era. I mean, Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown are big, no matter what happened in his personal life. Um, the 70s filmmakers, these guys that really caught their vision and and took over cinema, and, 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 and it didn't matter what they did. We went and saw it as audiences because they were magic makers. You, you know, I mean, Jaws could not have been more different than Close Encounters, could not have been more different than Raiders of the Lost Ark, could not have been more different than E.T., and they're all blockbusters, all made by one singular amazing man. Godfather 1 was followed by Godfather 2, which was seen to be even the more, a more superior, you know, film, which then, you know, Francis Ford Coppola did Apocalypse Now. I mean, the guy never looked back, just put his imprimatur over everything, ridiculously... Uh, just ridiculously successful visionary, really the guy that kicked off the success that they'd all, you know, opened up the pool that they'd all swim in. And then you get to George Lucas. And the one thing that Steven Spielberg says in this Empire of Dreams documentary, he's like, you went and saw a Francis Ford Coppola movie to get a Francis Ford Coppola movie, a Francis Ford Coppola picture. And he said, you know, when you went in to see a George Lucas film, you were getting a piece of George Lucas in the way that he approaches filmmaking and storytelling. And again, we sometimes have lost that in the current marketplace. And in 2022, it's been building for a while, this kind of loss of identity. But a, a, a writer can flex a style that you, you know, that, that, is, that is readily identifiable even if you don't realize as it's happening. And what I'm telling you is this corner that James IV has built for himself. You are getting a James IV, you know, storytelling, comic book, visual, visual art it, the way that he sees the world and people like it and they're gobbling it up and I don't see anyone on the on the horizon who is even remotely competing with him. He has just blown everyone away. My, my, my friends have been to the conventions that he's at recently and he is by far and away the biggest draw. 
And I think that is a testament to all that he has been writing. I remember when he came on the scene, he was one of the, uh, kind of the, 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 uh, you know, gains, the positives, the, 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 the pluses of the DC 52. He was, uh, doing the offshoot of Batman with the court of owls with the, uh, uh, uh I think the guy, <laughs> it was the head, the head court of owl. I, I, the name of that character, uh, escapes me now, but I'm going to, it's going to haunt me. Is it Talon? Is it Talon? I think it's Talon. You guys, you guys, I think that's it. But it was the owly guy. And I think James, the fourth was the writer on that and continued from there on. And if, if I'm wrong, I just, I just swung and, 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 and missed big, but he came on my radar, uh, when he started uh, getting assignments on his own at DC during the 52 period. And he never looked back again, his period on Batman during the pandemic era of like 2020, 2021 was ridiculously, uh, exciting. I believe punchline is the name of the uh, new semi Joker's daughter, kind of the, the, the heir apparent to the, the hype that was surrounding Harley Quinn. And, and if, if punchline comes to life in a, in a live action, you know, w- cause that's how the culture is right now. You attach an actor to a role and it just explodes. It just explodes. Uh, you know, going back to profit, if Jake Gyllenhaal dons the profit, you know, gear and you see him, uh, it, that, that character will instantly become more, you know, more recognizable people did not know of homelander until he was flying across your screen dismembering people and and frying their faces on the boys again you get an actor in these roles and that's how it works so you know there's even more upside for everything that james the fourth has been doing and if by chance something is killing the children or or uh, the nice house by the lake or the department of truth go forward and get film television i imagine he will be uh the stephen king of, of this era because the, the buzz is there, the interest is there, the sales are there, the connection is there. I cannot say enough great things about him. I do not know him. I have never, ever, ever in my memory uh, of, of the last decade or, or so have ever spoken to him. But again, and I've written, I've read enough of his stories to know that obviously he's very accomplished, uh, very talented uh, storyteller, and, and people are clamoring for the way that he tells stories. I cannot think of another name besides him who is hitting it as hard uh, in the comic book industry, and he is having a singular, giant impact, uh, and people are showing up to to whatever he is writing. Again, outside of comic book, science fiction, fantasy, he has carved this niche. So that is, you know, the state of the union in the comic book world, which kind of pivots me towards when I talk about conventions and I talk about appearances, and we've now moved into a world where, and trust me, it was Stan who was signing, who was charging for a signature. And everyone had kind of disgruntled, just in a disgruntled manner, accepted that. And 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 for years, as we looked the other way, because we didn't think we were, you know, of the same quality of these sports guys. And again, I'll I'll, I'll cite somebody like a Shaquille O'Neal, who I've told you guys, you know, at a local, couple local signings here back twelve years ago. So way past his prime, if it was twelve years ago. And and I mean, he had an amazing prime, but he is more towards his retirement age. He was doing signings and there would be flyers and advance menus posted of how much he charged for a jersey, a shoe, and a basketball. And I remember the escalating prices were 400 300 and 200 The buy-in to his signature was $200. Now, I don't know if that was on the basketball and the 300 was the jersey and the 400 you know, uh, was the sneaker, but it was, it was like, you know, broken down in jersey, basketball, sneaker, 
and 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 those were the kind of premium shack signature prices and and this is accompanying an article like where i would read that you know he's just made several hundred millions of dollars uh in a broadcast contract to complement the sunder the several hundreds of millions of dollars that he earned playing basketball in the nba which look i don't deprive anybody uh the nba is making billions so their players should be making you know commensurate to that and 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 it looks like i mean because obviously there's there's names i could throw at you that you've never heard of who are making you know 30 million dollars a year that's just the nature of the sport but then uh, you know Shaq, because of his amazing personality pivoted into broadcasting and then a kid you know found a way to also get yet another giant contract but he still for him to scribble his name on my basketball my jersey or my sneaker is going to cost a significant amount of money in 2009 with wolverine origins uh, featuring Ryan Reynolds in his first appearance as Deadpool, as questionable as maybe that turned out to be, <clears throat> I decided it was time that I would not just sign comics for free and I would start attaching a, a value to it. My current prices I have had for six or seven years, one or the other, pick one, uh, but it's been an extended time. But in that time, and it, when I started doing it, I got other people who were, uh, and, and trust me, I know who you are. I'm just not calling you out specifically by name yet because it's not time. But it was one, three, about four guys who really wanted to make an issue that, what was I thinking? How dare I? How dare I? And I said, you'll be doing this soon. You're just mad that you don't have the courage to ask for this at the time because that's what it takes. It's a, it, it's a sad kind of greeting with, I'm not going to sign all those for free anymore. There is a charge now. Now, you're you're if, you, if, if, if you're one of those people who's triggered by this, I apologize, but I'm going to give you the best example of why this change occurred. Prior to this, what was happening in the business in the mid two thousands, and there was a there, there was a couple guys, and a couple of them, I, I, I they, they had kind of nicknames. I don't want to give their nicknames because, as I understand it, I think they've passed, but they would show up with these giant, you know, uh, hand trucks, you know, like like what you know, like uh, that you carry boxes around. I mean, four wheels, piled up with boxes, long boxes, short boxes, and they would show up at your table and they would say, "Hey, I'm going to start unloading these." long boxes for you to sign. And they would expect you to sit there and sign, you know, 300 comic books. And the guy goes, oh, I'll give you a break. I'll come back later. I'll come back later. I've got another, another short box I want you to sign. So when I began to charge uh, early on at an Arizona show, and then he would, he, in case he did not think I heard him in the Arizona show, he wanted to express himself to me in the Vegas show. But so, so in a, in about a year's window, he walked by, by me with his, hand truck that he is, you know, carrying. Um, and, and, and he's got his long boxes and he goes, I'm never, ever going to pay you to sign these comics. And I said, I'm, I'm happy to never sign all your long boxes ever again, you know, because he'd always nervously kind of keep apologizing as he put 25 more in front of me, 25 more important in front of me. And I figured I did that for like, you know, a good, good 20 years, 20, 20 plus years of my career. And then I decided I'm going to, uh, I have, I have a value that I've assigned to my autograph. And if you, um, want to impart with, if, if you want to interact on that level, great. If not, I think enough of you have seen, uh, and I've given out enough free signatures when I go to stores and I'm, you know, uh, again, I, 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 I definitely signed over a thousand Deadpool bad bloods that were bought for cover price from the store. So by me going to that store, flying to that store, paying my expenses to go to that store, and then giving you a free autograph, I feel like I have more than kind of offered my my services in the in, in the interest of promoting. But 
when it comes down to some of this other stuff and stuff that you know is being flipped because that guy, now one of them, one of them who is alive and not the two that I won't mention who are dead, one of them who also said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to get any signatures for you now that you're paid. This guy is regularly on Facebook flipping all the time on a daily basis. He is flipping collections. He boasts how he buys for a dollar, sells for 20. Good for him. I'm happy for him. I literally love that he's making money at comics. But what he wanted was for me to be part of his grift whereupon he gets a bunch of free signatures from me and then marks up all those books to sign to sell to you. Uh, with, with that, that, so I got Liefeld to sign for free and now this is adding 5, 10, 20, 30, whatever to the sale that I'm going to sell it for. So the bottom line is I started uh, charging in 2009. So, so if that is 13 years ago, that is 13 years ago. And now we live in a culture that most everyone is signing. I read a missive from uh, recently this last week, Heroes... Uh, Heroes World on Facebook, a, a, a guy, an artist alley guy said, uh, this show was terrible for me. I lost my shirt. I didn't make any money. Unless you're an old guy charging $30 a signature, you can't cut it at this show. This is his message that he put on Facebook. Uh, again, not going to identify him. Don't want to give this guy any more, uh, maybe grief than he's already going to get, but, uh, and, and he shouldn't, he was just speaking truth. And, uh, I mean, right now there is, there is definitely a, a group of guys older than us. So let's go. There's the geezers. Then there's me and my crew. We're the old guys. Okay. So there's the old guys and then the guys ahead of us, the geezers. This is all, come on, laugh about this. I'm putting this all in quotes. This is supposed to be funny. If you're taking this seriously, then, then stop listening right now. Go out, have a walk, clear your head. This is I'm, I'm making fun of geezer con old man con. I mean, my favorite show on television right now is not The Boys. It is The Old Man starring Jeff Bridges, which is kind of like if Jason Bourne was 72 years old and they came back to get him and to go after him. And Jeff Bridges is fantastic. It's called The Old Man. What's the number one movie at the box office right now? In in, in a week, Tom Cruise is going to be 60. So you're, you're, you're elevating the work of a 60-year-old. The old men are ruling right now, so it's not meant as a diss. So now that that's out of the way, let's continue. What are you paying for? Here's my thing. We're in a we're 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 in 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 a serious financial kind of crunch right now with the inflation, and and in the state of the union, what I would advise to you, <clears throat> some simple stuff that has been passed along to me. Yes, first appearances are worth money. First appearances will benefit when you get someone else to sign that book. A first appearance of you know Hercules. Let's say Hercules is in Thor: Love and Thunder. I'm not sure that he is or not, but let's say he appears in an after credit scene. Let's see. So, oh my gosh, Hercules! Well, you can't capitalize on Hercules. That's an early, you know, Stan and Jack comic. It's already in the fifteen to twenty thousand dollar range. Even if it's even even if it's a five thousand dollar book. I mean, how many people have five thousand dollars to go buy a first appearance? Okay. It's 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 seemingly out of the range, but but then you you move into well maybe you can afford the first appearance of Venom, maybe you can afford the first appearance of Wolverine. That's a different bracket all altogether. Venom, uh, Deadpool, uh, Cable. Let's say let's say let's say Miles Morales. Miles Morales is he's 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 actually very expensive, but but what you're doing is you're you're poking and and and, and looking for investments. Look, look look I've got something is is killing the children. Will, will I perhaps put myself in a position to purchase a signature from James the Fourth on that at some point? I might. I will, you know, I'll consider it that the thing is, cause I have a hardcore collector's mentality as well. I, t I told you guys, I went all in, I paid a few thousand dollars to get X-Men number one about a decade ago. I then, uh, on tour with Stan, had Stan sign my X-Men number one. I had my X-Men number one sent into CGC slabbed and, 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 and given a grade. And I am excited 
now that I had Stan sign it because, uh, you know, I can't have Stan sign that copy anymore. So, so, you know, not only did I get a first appearance, the first appearance of the X-Men in their very first comic book published ever, but I got the half of the creative team who was, you know, really the only creative team that I could access during this time. Cause Jack Kirby, you know, had been dead, had been dead for almost 26 years at the, at the point that Stan signed my copy, but now Stan cannot sign anyone's copy because Stan is gone. Right. So first appearances, I'm invested as well. Modern, you know, like something is killing the children all the way to the X-Men. Okay. So I'm in there. I'm in there with you guys. I'm a collector. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a consumer. There are certain things that I do absolutely value. Do I have Herb Trimp, uh, you know, signatures on my first appearance of, of Wolverine? I do. Yes. And they're slabbed because that's fun, you know, and, and, uh, first appearances of heroes are, are a big deal and anti-heroes, which, which we, we, we call Harley Quinn and, and Deadpool and, and Venom. Uh, villains are not, retailers will tell you, villains are not where you should put your money. Apocalypse will cool as fast as he heats up and all the way down the line, it doesn't matter what villain. Even some, like at WonderCon, I was looking into buying some Moon Knight uh, appearances, but they were so over the top. But now that the Moon Knight series is going to be several months in, in the rearview mirror by the time the fall comes around, I'll probably readdress and see if those prices have fallen. And I've already looked online and they have, they have fallen. But uh, what I get, you know, Don Perlin's signature on the first appearance of Moon Knight, if I could, I would. Absolutely, yes. First appearances, for sure. But when you're getting paid a ton of money, maybe for a short-run variant that doesn't have a first appearance, but it's just a cover that you like, and I'm speaking of my own stuff here, you better just be doing it because you like it. Because the value intrinsic uh, uh, is, is, is not guaranteed, okay? And so I'm just trying to give you some, some help to separate, you know, uh, the, the, again, going back to that biblical reference, the wheat from the chaff, you know, to, to, to maybe make the better decisions. Cause if, 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 if in, in a, in a world where everyone is charging for their signature, what are you paying for? Well, maybe you're paying to get everything signed. You want the entire set. If you can, uh, get Ryan Otley and Robert Kirkman to sign every single copy of, of invincible good, more power to you. That's awesome. That's cool. Um, right now, I'll tell you, you know, I went all in. Um, I, you guys have seen, I, I got Charlie Cox to sign my Daredevil Deadpool Nerdy 30 cover. Um, I got Barry Keegan to sign my Eternals Deadpool Nerdy 30 cover. I got Chris Hemsworth to sign my Thor Deadpool Nerdy 30 cover. And I, I just could not be more ecstatic that uh, that is, um, that, 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 that that has in fact occurred. It really excites me. And, uh, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm just so thrilled because I'm going to build this collection where I hopefully get all of the actors. So am I going to try and get Mark Ruffalo to do the Hulk Deadpool? I am. Am I going to try and get Tom Hardy to do the Venom? I am. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's fun to collect these actors who have, uh, who have portrayed these roles and then I sign because I'm, you know, the Deadpool guy. I'm the Deadpool creator. And then I have them, the actor, because in most, like, like again, I can't get, you know, Jack Kirby to sign my Thor. I can't get Jack Kirby, you know, to, 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 to sign my Fantastic Four, Deadpool, Nerdy 30. I mean, th- those are really impossible, but, but it'd be, it'd be fun if Downey Jr. signed my Iron Man. Sure. I mean, is that going to be a hard get? Yes. Yes, it is <laughs> harder than you think, but 
That's my pursuit. So I'm just telling you, I have my own collector's vibe mentality as well. And, uh, and I just think buyer beware. What do you, you get caught up in that fever. And if there's definitely a five free, like some of these guys do get those five free, man, get those five free. And then maybe if you're going to start paying from that point on question, what are you paying for? Um, is it a specialty cover? Uh, I know people are, are checking those, those, those prices. And like I said, cover price and all of these apps buy this, buy this. Let me tell you, everybody told me to buy the first appearance of Conan and Savage Avengers and the storyline that led up to it. Every retailer that I knew was saying, you got to buy this, you got to buy this. And the, the, the quantities, you know, were low and the demand was high and I got those. And now the Conan license is leaving Marvel again. And, and I'm not sure that he's going to be in Savage Avengers anymore. And so the heat on that is, is, is altered and it is not as much in demand. And it certainly hasn't been as in demand in the three and a half years since it first occurred. Because again, to quote my good friend, Don Henley on the Eagles documentary, when he talks about the, the different evolution of the band, their popularity, their lineups, he looks in the camera and he says, time passes, things change. Time passes, things change. And with comics, it's the same. So be careful what you're ponying up for. Uh, Todd McFarlane, David Michelini on Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 300 is a fantastic investment, 100%. You want to get Paul Dini and Bruce Timm to get your first Harley Quinn, uh, you know, a comic book signed, that's that's a, again, she's a cartoon character. She appeared first as an animated character in an animated series, but by the time they adapt, you know, put her in the Batman Adventures, you know, there's, there's something physical that they can sign. So that's great. You know, do I have Ryan Reynolds signatures on some Deadpool uh, items? And, and I've signed them myself. And maybe Tim Miller has also signed them. And Stanley, yes, they are my most valuable collections. So, so I'm with you guys. I'm a collector. But as, as I see this inflation rise, be very careful. Again, like, you, you, like the people who were buying through the new, nose for the first appearance of Apocalypse five, six years ago, uh, you know, that's what my retailers use as an example to me in regards to what you should not kind of pursue and overpay for because that price then goes drastically down. And um, again, the anti-heroes, the cables, the Deadpools, the Venoms, the Carnages, the Harley Quinns, that's the stuff off the top of my head. Those seem to be good investments they've been holding. And uh, and so first appearances, uh, it used to be when I was a kid, the first work that an artist or a creator did for a company was, was given a little, you know, asterisk. The first John Byrne work is, you know, whatever, if it's on Ghost Rider or Daredevil and you wanted to buy it. First Rob Liefeld work, but th- those don't, those don't hold any of the same interests as they used the, the market has changed. The appeal has changed. It's gone to these, you know, which character is going to go the distance, which character is going to, you know, blow up. And, and so it is literally gambling. It is literally speculation. And you are literally taking part of that and running those same odds. So th- there is a way to sober up and to, to kind of, you know, if, if, if all you're paying is for five guys to sign your Batman books, you really like, you're going to wonder if you can get that value back, okay? Because unless there's a brand new Batman character uh, or if it's a, it's a significant um, book, then that is going to be uh, tough to get that investment back on. These are just practically minded. Ditto goes for Spider-Man because you know who the Spider-Man creators are? That's Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and they're not signing your comic in 2022 because they're gone. The Batman creators are not signing your comic because the Batman creators are gone, okay? You, you, you go, getting back to my Hercules 
announcement that the, the creator of the Marvel Hercules, Stan and Jack, they're gone. They're gone. Okay. So, so some of these, you know, you want to go get the first appearance of Black Adam? Well, those guys, they're gone. They're dead. They're, 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 when, when, you know, I keep wondering what is the book that's going to get all the heat? Well, it's certainly not going to be a first appearance book because that first appearance book is already out of reach at umpteen thousand copies and it is not a modern comic in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the way that in the Top Gun Maverick movie, the young pilots make fun of Hangman because the one enemy craft that he shot down was from another century. You know, they argue, was it the Vietnam War? Was it the Cold War? But they're, they're, that, that entire movie is kind of subtly taking shots at relics the entire time. And it, even down to the point that Tom Cruise himself is the relic. And, you know, some of these relics in Black Adam, the first appearance of Black Adam, it is a relic. You will you will likely not obtain it. Maybe one copy will make its way into the Heritage Auction soon. And uh, and that will be something to pursue. What, you want to know what I, I would pursue is the giant size X-Men annual number one that introduced the new X-Men, Wolverine, Storm, Banshee. Not, not obviously Wolverine was in the pages of Hulk, but put them all together as the new X-Men, Colossus, Storm, uh, Nightcrawler, I think this is their first appearance. And and that book is evergreen. I don't believe you could ever not have a good investment. And it's still modern enough, like a Vietnam War, Cold War relic. Again, referring to Top Gun Maverick in in, in, in terms of their vernacular. The, the thing is, those are those are good books. Giant Size X-Men, first appearance of Wolverine. Again, they're 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 pricier. They're definitely pricier than they were 10 years ago. But, but this is the stuff that I would consider. It, those are blue chips. I, I've told a story where Todd was considering buying a first appearance of Amazing Spider-Man in 1989, 1990, whenever we were walking around uh, Comic-Con. I hope he went back and bought it. He said he was going to. He's like, it'll always go up in value, bud. That, that, that book is always going to go. I mean, first appearance of Spider-Man. Always going to be worth something. And he was not wrong. He is not wrong. That is correct. Um, there were people who were speculating that Angela was going to be in Thor, Love, and Thunder. I have it on good authority. She is not in any way, shape, or form. I think that's already out there. So this is not spoiler on any way. But, but they were trying to jack up the price of, I think it, it, it spawned 9 or 10, whichever the first appearance of Angela is. That's just off the top of my head. But And had she been there, yes, that book would have skyrocketed. Absolutely. I mean, it's got that, and it's got that double danger of it's an image-created character that then, you know, was um, removed from Todd and... Uh, given to Neil Gaiman as part of a settlement, who then sold it to Marvel. So it's 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 actually it 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 you know crosses so many T's and dots so many I's. It's very exciting that 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 if she was to eventually appear, that it would really um, galvanize and electric. I mean that 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 may be the hottest book in the market if that happens. But currently it's not, and it didn't, and she's not in Love and Thunder in any way, shape, or form. So again, speculation is driving comic book the cover price apps, the eBay. I know friends who go on eBay on Mondays and Tuesday nights to see what's coming out, to see what's got the heat, to see what books they are going to go scramble and get. And like I said, with my Avenger, with my Savage Avengers example, I cannot tell you how many times I was getting burned on these kind of things. And after a two-year cycle of really following every trend, the only one that came out of it that really has, has uh, borne fruit for me is the Something is Killing the Children. If I had not been paying attention to the trends during that time. I would have missed out on that. So you go, well, you you, you got 100 and you landed one. I'm not sure those are the good odds. Um, I, I, I decided to start playing the odds smarter and, and cut back on buying one of everything. And certainly if I was to give you any sort of recommendation, it is that whenever the end of the Spider-Verse sequel happens, 
uh, with Spider-Man 2099. I know they moved, they moved it back to 2023. I think it was coming out this year. Whenever that happens, Spider-Man 2099 is going to skyrocket. He is, I believe, one of the most visually exciting interpretations of the Spider-Man character. And if I was going to recommend anything and you're like, no, duh, Rob, that's been going on. Well, I'm going to double down and come alongside that recommendation and tell you that that is indeed a really good recommendation. I think they're probably still in the reasonable um you know, ballpark, um, people want to sell them. So they've scaled them back because the movie isn't on track to be out in the next few months. It's now, you know, nine, 10 months away, maybe even a year. So those are Spider-Man 2099 is, is something I would highly recommend. But again, if you're going to go and you're going to stand in line and the inker of Spider-Man wants to charge you $15 to, to sign his book, I wouldn't do it. I would save that and reinvest that. And if you invest that and save it enough, you would go and buy yourself a nice blue chip Miles Morales, Giant Size X-Men, First Appearance Wolverine, First Appearance Harley Quinn, something like that. That is my recommendation to you. I believe all I have shared to you right now is without any agenda whatsoever, just practical logic. And if it helps break your fever and make your money go, any, go further, um, I, I did my job. That's what I'm trying to help you do in this last episode of Rob Observations for quite some time. Here's the deal. Again, storylines used to drive everything. The only guy I see really driving stories right now is James the Fourth. Um, there is no Batman storyline that I'm aware that is ro- rocketing up the charts. Spider-Man storyline that is rocketing up the charts. X-Men story that is rocketing up the charts and packing in, uh, putting putting butts in the seats. We are in a different time and a different age, and it's variant covers and its first appearances. And I understand it. That's the way. I, I can't. I'm not railing against it. I'm not trying to change it. I'm telling you that's the way it is. That's the way things are happening. Will something break out? Will some character take the world by storm? I believe they will. I believe uh, absolutely that is still on deck to occur. So I truly believe that, uh, that, that, that there's, there's, there's all many manner of options for you to pursue in the comic book marketplaces, especially at a convention. Just spend your money wisely. Um, random Batman appearances and Robin appearances and Spider-Man appearances and Captain America appearances are not, um, you know, going to yield long-term. This is almost like turning this into a stocks, but you guys have turned it into stocks. This is what I see at the comic book stores and what I see at the comic book conventions. And what I am still trying to sell you when I am at my booth is, and I'm trying to sell you an exclusive cover that I did. I'm trying to sell you on an image that I did that I really like. Uh, my favorite variant cover that I did in the last couple of years is Spider-Man versus uh, is Deadpool versus uh, Venom, and it was for a King in Black, uh, and it was a Nerdy Thirty, one of the first ones that came out in April of 2021. I then did my own variant with that, with the X Force Gray Deadpool battling Venom, and then I did one with the um, X Force Gray Deadpool battling Venom Pool. So I did two offshoots of that variant. I Love that image. It may be one of the most powerful comic book covers I've drawn in 30 plus years. So when I put it proudly on my table and I want you to buy it because I only have a few left and I'm charging a premium price for it, it's because I just like the image. I can't tell you that it's going to be valuable. I can tell you that you can only get it from me, that that, that I am the the only supplier of that image. And, and, and you know, maybe if I've partnered with a store and they have a share of those books as well, then, then, then it's just us, two locations that you can get it from. But there is no intrinsic like extra value built into it. I can't sell that to you. I can just sell you that I like the image and I hope that you can have it, but I, my, my quantities are limited, which is why I have priced them in a premium format. And that's it. But there is no way, shape, or form I can tell you that that book is going to go up in price. That is uh, not likely. So, so again, the comic book marketplace, I see one talent moving the needle above all others. 
I see uh, everyone else kind of in a reloading mode, and I, 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 I suspect that 2023 will be radically different, that there will be a more aggressive, uh, dedicated uh, focus on some storylines for some key characters across the board. We all know who they are. Uh, again, the DC Universe is crying out. Such a great catalog. The DC Universe is crying out to be repositioned, reformatted, refocused. Um, those characters are so great. Marvel has so many successful families, but right now I can't tell you of a significant storyline happening or occurring within any of those families. And as we've covered, it's the Avengers family. It's kind of the original Marvel superheroes family, which includes the Fantastic Four. It's the Spider-Man family, uh, which includes Venom. It's X-Men, which includes like Deadpool. Uh, Marvel has multiple families. I mean, they have their licensed family of Star Wars books. Soon they're going to add Planet of the Apes, which we'll get to you when I get back and start broadcast, broadcasting again. Uh, th- th- I mean, Marvel really now has control of so many different licenses, uh, given that the, the Fox transition of it all is is finally going to hit. I believe there's Predator comics, there's Alien comics. If they're not here, they're on the way. So it's very exciting in that, in that way. So yeah, we've got some talent. We've got things have, have absolutely, absolutely just changed um, in regards to what drives people to the store. We, we, we've discussed that, the, that those habits are off. They're definitely, you know, changing. Storylines are, are just not driving comics personal right right now. It's the internet. It's the, it's the charts. It's eBay pricing. But, you know, when you go to a convention and you decide on what you're going to pay for, you know, maybe apply a little different sensibility to that because, you know, at some point, many people, and, 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 I, and I've seen this, and this is what I, you know, need to hit on is, is these guys, they show up, and they want to sell their collection, and and the store owner does not give uh, the signatures much thought whatsoever, and it really does not enhance a run-of-the-mill issue of fill-in-the-blank. Okay, because if I say a name of the title, I'll you'll, you'll hold it against me, but for fill-in-the-blank. Okay, um, now if you got a Joe Kubert, you know, signature on on a Hawkman or a or, or a, Sarge, a Sergeant Rock, I mean, Joe's been gone a long time, and that is that is rare. So that that's a different you know department altogether. But I mean especially like the joke was like during the Ant-Man one and Ant-Man two sequels that there was a ton of Stanley signed Ant-Man stuff. Cause he was out and signing during that time. And especially all the different handlers that he had were passing, you know, books to him to sign all the time. So there's a, you know, and, and there were Ant-Man specials and Ant-Man special editions and, you know, true believers and whatever. So it's like Stanley Ant-Man stuff is out there. Just go to eBay and look it up right now. You're going to find it. It's, it's everywhere. But uh, a signed Joe Kubert something, that, that is going to stand you know stand out. But I always try and give the benefit of the doubt and pick out that one thing that may be in your collection that's going to separate. But for the most part, if it's a bunch of comics from a you know fill-in-the-blank series that has some series, some, some signatures that you pay 20 bucks for, you're probably not getting that back. You know, it's time to be smart and stretch that dollar. And it's, it's uh, first appearances of, of, of heroes, uh, and anti-heroes are a big deal. Villains are tricky. Villains don't always come back to, um, to, to appreciate. And again, think of the different villains, um, along the way. And then, you know, a lot of them, you're not going to get the first appearance of Dr. Octopus or Vulture or even Craven. Those are, those are lost to you. Those are $30,000 comics, you know, so, so $20,000 comics to begin with. They're, they're just not accessible to the masses. So we've covered, you know, the television of it all, the boys of it all, 
the comic book collecting, James the Fourth being the breakout guy in 2022 and beyond. I mean, I, the guy, he didn't just happen. He, he got here again through a decade of hard work, but in these last three years, he has certainly shined and he is dominating on every floor that he is showing up in. Finally, in the cinemas, obviously this summer 2022 is, is seeing that Doctor Strange, you know, did 800 million plus and, and Thor is, is, is likely to re, re, repeat that, maybe even go above and beyond. The comic book movies are obviously in great shape. Batman did some significant dollars. But the just outlier that Top Gun has become, it just, just there's so much to examine there. I'm not going to give it its own podcast or its own you know, put it under the microscope for an entire hour. But the, the, the bottom line is, that, you know, the secret sauce is Tom Cruise. Without him, you, you don't get that same success because he's the biggest movie star of my lifetime and, and the biggest movie star that we have left in the pantheon. And the bottom line is that, that there are definitely themes that he visits upon himself that makes it so rich to see him come back. And it is the, uh, does this old man fit in? From the beginning of the movie, Ed Harris is telling him, you're a relic, you're a relic, you're a relic, you don't belong, you don't belong, you don't belong. John Hamm then encounters him and says, you're a relic, you're a relic, you're a relic, you don't belong, you don't belong. Tom Cruise is, t- is, is questioning himself, am I a relic, am I a relic, do I belong? Val Kilmer, as Iceman says, we need you, we need you, we need this relic. The Navy needs this relic. Then, then, then there's a certain sequence of events and John Hamm doubles down like, I have decided we do not need you, you are most definitely a relic, you are dismissed. And then in the end, uh, the relic... Uh, gets himself back into the in, in, into, into the pilot seat and leads the charge. But the funniest thing is, at the, in the third act, and by now so many of you have seen it, but Miles Teller is in the cockpit as Rooster, the son of Goose, with, uh, with Tom Cruise in the F-14. And he says three different times, this is so old. This is a museum piece. This is so old. He keeps saying this, but what he really is saying and could be saying just as easily is, you are so old, Tom Cruise. You are a museum piece. How are we going to get this in the air? How are we going to get you to soar again? Tom was $200 million away from hitting the billion-dollar benchmark in previous films. The last one was his most successful. The last, uh, the, the, the last uh, I think it was Mission Impossible Fallout, was cl- the closest he got at $800 million. He is going to punch past a billion by almost five hundred million. I believe this movie is going to one point five billion dollars. It is a messagey, it is a subtle message, and and if you don't think people my age are going to that movie and rooting our hero on because we believe that we are also not relics and that we have more life in us and we do not wish to be retired, and uh, and 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 uh, you know whatever the messaging that Ed Harris and the John Hamm character and, and Miles Teller blurts out, it, it's, it's, it's the world telling all of us, you know, you're done. And we're saying, we're not done yet. And that is the message of Top Gun above and beyond, obviously in, in bitching awesome aerial fight scenes. It's got a huge patriotic bend that I believe uh, is something to be examined in the future. It is really a, a huge uh, uh, theme that I, I believe could be exploited Uh, in the future, because it can't be ignored. There is just unrelenting, unapologetic patriotism that is just sewn into the very fiber of every frame of Top Gun Maverick. It cannot be escaped. Um, So so, so that is going to go on to dominate. I don't see anything knocking it off its keister for the rest of the year. It is just so dominant. And again, this, you're a relic, you're a relic. You know, you, 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 you should be dismissed. You, you should be you know, you should be removed. You're, you're, you're antiquated. Uh, and the character fighting the entire picture to show that he is not antiquated. He is not going to be dismissed. He is not the relic that others have identified him as. Um, 
is, is powerful and it's resonating. And I think it's resonating with, with audiences very powerfully in the United States of America. Obviously all the, the, it celebrates traditional American, um, strengths and values like American military, um, you, you, you know, uh, teamwork. I mean, that entire scene on the beach, what are you doing here? I'm building a team. You wanted a team. I'm building it in, in the way of glistening, sexy, chiseled bodies playing football, the all American sport. I mean, guys, there's so much to analyze and it is clearly struck a chord. I am psychotically going to end up seeing this movie almost 10 times. So, but I enjoy it every time and I'm finding new ways to experience. I had never seen 40 X. I did not ever experience a movie as a roller coaster, but when I did, I was so excited. It's such a great ride. I, I had the very best time. Speaking of great times, the State of the Union, we've covered it. It's in a good place. Comic book pop culture is is crushing it. Uh, I didn't spend a lot of time on Doctor Strange or Thor, but come on, alongside the boys. I mean, you got comic books, you know, just everywhere. That 2021 ended with the boom of Spider-Man, and it shows no time, no 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 signs of slowing down. On deck is Secret Invasion is She-Hulk. I'm following all these incredible, you know, uh, superhero shows that we've had on. We haven't even scratched on Star Wars and and that that finale of Obi Wan. I watched five times. That last episode was worth just every ounce of investment that I put into watching that series. You know, again, everything old is new again. Obi Wan also an old guy, a relic hidden away, uh, questioning his purpose. Uh, themes that work, themes that resonate, but Star Wars comic books, um, um, you know, the, 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 the comic book marketplace itself is in a different place. Storylines aren't necessarily drawing it values and first appearances. And I can't do anything about that. All I can do is advise you, but there is one significant talent, James, the fourth, he's driving so much of it. It has been a great ride this last season. Season three kicked all sorts of righteous ass. Uh, we, we logged in just, just under, uh, 50 episodes. Uh, there's over 205 episodes of Rob observations that you can tap out and you can listen to. And I, I would encourage you in the time that I have off to check it out. I am going to enjoy, uh, my family, the remainder of this season. Uh, my mother passed away, uh, the same week my, my, my son graduated college. It was the most insane roller coaster I have ever been on and uh wanting my son to feel celebrated and uh wanting our family to unite around his incredible achievement I didn't go to school I didn't graduate I didn't have that I didn't have that achievement in me and I took a different path and uh each of my kids is amazing and special and we got back and I needed to plan a service for my mom and honor her and then I had a daughter who is graduating high school, which, come on, it's a big deal. It was a big deal for each and every one of you. That was a huge, huge deal. And uh, graduating uh, high school will always uh, be special. No matter what high school, no matter what state, no matter what country, it's a big achievement. And and it launches you onto the next. And she's going to be attending college in the fall. My son has been kicking ass. Uh, he's, he's got a movie that you're going to see next year. Uh, we have been all over the place emotionally and, uh, and, uh, I have just looked to work to, to just keep me focused, draw pages, create work, bring this podcast to you. But man, whoo, I am tired. 
and I need a vacation and I'm going on vacation <laughs> and uh, it's going to be fun and I'm going to enjoy my family because it's going to be the last time we're together in this way. My son is going to live in another state and pursue his career and we could not be more excited. My daughter is going off to college. We couldn't be more excited and my son is going to continue to book jobs and build his career and the old man is going to keep, <laughs> is going to keep making comics and I'll be back in, in front of this mic soon. I truly love you guys. You have looked at me in the in the eyes uh, at these store signings. And you've told me how much uh, that this show has either informed you, entertained you, distracted you. And I am so happy it has. There are definitely times I do not understand why I am talking to this ridiculous mic. But uh, I think you guys have uh, really made it worth it. Every uh, story that I've shared, and I truly appreciate you. I appreciate you as my audience. I appreciate you rooting me on. I, I thank you so much. What a great uh, season. You know, this has been it's fun. Super fun. I had the best time, and uh, I am going to reboot and uh, get the rest I need. This has been crazy and super fun. Again, I have enjoyed seeing each and every one of you on this different tour. I'm going to get out there. Uh, I'll be at San Diego when it returns. That's about a month from now. And that'll be super fun because they haven't had a proper San Diego, a normal San Diego in the summertime in, in since 2019. So that's uh, a long passage of time. But you guys, thank you for all the love. Thank you for all the great reviews. I'm not going to read anything today. I'm literally just going to sign off and thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing your enthusiasm. Thank you for telling me that this show uh, fills some sort of void for you. Like I said, entertains you, makes you laugh, and uh, hopefully makes you smarter because I work really hard to bring <laughs> all my old dusty magazines and interviews and, 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 and give them to you and assign dates and times and, and keep, the, uh, keep the information accurate. You guys have a great summer. We will most definitely... Uh, be be talking again. Uh, circle back around my way. I'll be here waiting, and we are going to talk again real soon. Thanks.